We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. And today we're also doing a crossover episode, which is one of my favorite things to do with Evolving Digital Self, because today's guest is really resonates for both of our audiences. And there's so much that we have the opportunity to learn about the human relationship with technology, the future of workplace, and how we become good global citizens. So I'm really excited to introduce to you Melinda Whitstock today, who is the founder of Podopolo, a new platform that we are, both of our podcasts are on. And she's going to tell us more about the platform, growing of the business, future of workplace. We're going to have all kinds of great discussions today, but she is not only the founder of Podopolo, but an award-winning journalist and founder of several other enterprises over the years. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. Welcome, Melinda. Hey, Heidi. It's so good to be with you. So it's been really fun getting to know you over the last several years in the podcasting space. But we actually have a lot of overlap over the years. I can't believe we haven't met before that, but in our various different ventures. And I'm really excited to see where you're headed now. Before we get into where you're headed now, can you help folks understand a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Well, one of the things in the global nomad hack, I've been a world traveler, first of all. I really believe in having lots of travel experiences and lots of cross-disciplinary experiences. And I think that informs my entrepreneurship. I'm a lifelong learner and I love to experience different cultures, different ways of doing things. And I started out life in Toronto and Canada and I was in Montreal for a while when I was at McGill and then went to London. And I lived in London for 11 years where I was correspondent on the Times of London and then the Financial Times and then went on to the, the BBC and much more besides. What I loved about London, though, is every quarter I would travel somewhere from there for two weeks, every quarter. And I really saw, you know, much of the world as a result, really, of being in London because it was so, I don't know, easy to travel from, which was just a magnificent period of my life. And I, I think as a journalist, you get used to before there was such thing as a gig worker or a global nomad, I think I was one already because my office was wherever I was. <laughs> so that's kind of been my life. Like it's always been my sensibility, you know, and then and then from there to New York, you know, where I anchored for ABC News and MSNBC and whatnot. And then to Washington, where, you know, I guess I would call it my first adult company uh, was a political news agency out of the U.S. Capitol. And we got more and more involved in the technology space with one of the first ever crowdsourcing apps and growing that to 3 million users in just eight months. And I don't know, I've always, uh, you know, pre-COVID, you know, I was still traveling every couple of weeks. I, I can't, I sort of can't help myself. So it's been really weird to be housebound for a year. <laughs> it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. I've always had that wanderlust. Well, it's not like you haven't been, you know, you've been sitting around doing nothing over the past year. Jeez. <laughs> I've been busy. You know, you've been busy, girl. you got a lot of stuff going on. And and we have been a beneficiary of that with uh, Podopolo. So 
you know, I met you early on in my podcasting career at the New Media Summit. So what, four years ago with the first New Media Summit and the whole podcasting space has exploded since then. I mean, there is just, you know, an insane amount of growth. But there's also, I think it's really until Podopolo, we haven't seen an opportunity for it to be something beyond just push media. So can you tell us, I mean, you obviously, like me, you come from a background where it's all about sort of that collaboration. How do you create that social space? Mm. And that's really become integrated. You know, those are the things that just make us thrive. When we're talking about the human relationship with technology, we're talking about that integrative piece. It's not just like, you know, technology on one side and humans on the other. It's how do you use this as a way to connect humans better? How do you use it to enhance the human experience and to enhance the experience of podcasting and learning and growing? So can you tell us a little bit about the evolution of how Podopolo came about? Well, absolutely. I mean, to start, I think really my North Star has been the fact that I believe that the best content is conversation and community. And you can go back to, say, in the 1940s, where people were sitting around radios, listening and sparking conversations around that and connecting and learning. We sort of lost that with social media because social media, although it was social, it encouraged a behavior, like you said, that's all me, 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 me. And there is interaction, but it wasn't necessarily meaningful interaction. And I think one of the reasons why podcasting has really taken off is because people crave, absolutely crave more of an intimacy and an authentic deep dive. And podcasting, whatever the topic is, it tends to be a little bit more mission oriented. It really explores the context of information. It's, and it's a more intimate, the human voice inherently, it's just a more intimate way to connect. But as you say, what's missing from that in a digital, what is ultimately a digital medium, is the ability to interact around that content. So I don't know if this has happened to you, but it happens to me often where I'll be listening to a podcast and I'll hear something and I'll think, oh man, I really want to share that with someone else or I want to talk to someone else about it or I want to put that piece of learning into action in my life right now. But then it becomes a frustrating experience because, oh, wait, where was that again? What episode was that? How do I find that? Who else is listening? I have no idea who else is listening because the podcast apps are disconnected from the social apps and disconnected from the actual human interaction. And so with Podopolo, I really wanted to reinvent that whole experience to create a connected, interactive experience. So when people come on Podopolo and they're listening to a podcast, they can see who else is listening to it. They can make new friends that have a shared interest in that particular topic or that particular podcast, but they can also discover podcasts through their friends. And there's so much that comes from that when you're actually able to make content actionable and really connect around that content for meaningful outcomes whether it's in your own life personally, something you're working on in your own life and you want to see that, see and track that transformation, or whether you want to get together with a bunch of other people to take meaningful action to improve something about the world. So that's always been a factor, I think, in all of my businesses. They've all been social, they've all leveraged technology, and they've all been about content and connecting people around content. 
So with podcasting, I saw that there were a number of gaps in the market. I mean, there was nobody that was really creating an integrated experience around a podcasting. I saw the need, and especially exacerbated by the pandemic, for people to connect in a more meaningful and authentic way. And then meantime, at the same time, what I was experiencing as a podcaster myself was the frustration of the structural problems in the industry that prevent podcasters from actually being discovered, uh, really engaging an audience on a platform where they actually know and own their own audience and can monetize their own audience. Podcasters are lacking the data to really actually understand that audience even. And as a result of these three big structural blocks, are struggling to monetize their content. So we took those two concepts and sort of combined them. How can we really vastly improve the listener experience and that connected experience and at the same time shift the power and the profit to independent content creators, 85% of which of podcasters don't make money from podcasting. And so this is a massive power shift as well to really empower the podcasters and really connect them to, you know, growing shared interest communities of listeners. I think it's really exciting. And I think there's, like you said, I know so many podcasters that create incredible content and are not monetizing. And when we talk about monetizing, it's not like sort of, oh, you know, you need to make money off of this. It's got to be something profitable. It's more like they're not even, they're literally not even breaking even. And so it's also just supporting the content that you are receiving, you know, like, you know, NPR, they do their big fundraising campaigns. Podcasters don't do that. Some of them have, you know, sort of an occasional affiliate relationship or they get an ad here or there. But in general, they're like teachers. They're just like giving, 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 giving and getting nada. And so yeah, it's, it's really, really it's, nice it's, to see an opportunity for them to to be able to, the more that they can actually support what they're doing, the more they can grow and give. Yeah. And I think there's tremendous opportunity too with this social layer, if you will, for podcasters to really connect with each other and help each other in reciprocal ways. You mentioned NPR. I mean, NPR is actually a network of hundreds of stations mm -hmm. across the country, all fundraising locally and feeding that money onto NPR to support a lot of the programs that they in turn air along with their local programming. And it's it has the the network effect there. So if you take that down to the podcasting level and you have a growing number of podcasters, whether they're sharing hacks with each other or just the simple power of aggregation in terms of ad buys and sponsorship and in terms of the cross-reference of discovery of growing each other's audiences, like, you know, at the, at the heart of Podopolo and, and particularly in the Next Generation app we're building, is a very sophisticated recommendation engine. You know, it's kind of like how Amazon does it. Well, if you like this, we also like this. Or what are my friends listening to? Oh, I'm curious about. And, and being able to discover other things through those trusted social connections and social relationships, that's really the heart of it. And, you know, on the monetization piece, right, a lot of podcasters don't necessarily podcast. They didn't go into it to make money. But they do have to sustain something. And there's lots of different business models for podcasts. A lot of podcasters, you know, the ones that succeed and what I had to do with Wings of Inspired Business, my own podcast, 
is I figured out all kinds of different hacks to make that sustainable and ultimately profitable. But it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a roadmap for that. It was just getting really super creative about repurposing the content, finding other means to put that content into summits that I could sell or like recurring membership programs or doing affiliate deals with my guests or, you know, ultimately spinning off and having masterminds and retreats and whatnot. And they were all products that were related to the podcast, Mm -hmm. but the podcast itself was not until relatively recently being monetized through sponsorship or ad revenue. Part of the problem with the sponsorship and ad revenue piece is that the industry, the advertising industry looks at podcasting like it looks as it does a broadcast media where it's a numbers game to them. So they look for podcasts that have 10,000 downloads or more. That is 1.2% of the podcast universe, which locks out all this amazing content. Podcasts that have relatively small audiences, but those audiences are, you know, well-heeled, well-educated, exactly the sort of people that advertisers want to reach. And if you know a little bit about those audiences and can take the guesswork out of it, for advertisers and match them to pre-qualified audiences, it means that even podcasters with small audiences now can have the opportunity to benefit from that advertising and sponsorship revenue. Because this is a digital media, but it was approached as a broadcast one. So that's one of the the little puzzle pieces that we've figured out how to innovate on and added to the fact of the aggregation of having many podcasts together. Your, your point of context is so critical because that's where you really get that added value for everyone, where, you know, by being able to connect with your audience better and be able to provide, you know, really provide them with things that add value and to be able to connect your advertisers to, think, you know, to an audience that is really relevant to them. And that's something that I think that you guys have done really nicely. So it's not just you know, some podcasts you listen to and they've got so many ads on there. And it's like, why isn't that ad for that on there? Well, and it goes on yeah. forever. And you're like, what? You know, it's like, it's like watching TV. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is again, like part of the old broadcast model where mm-hmm. you have all these ads dropped into podcasts that bear no relation to who the audience actually is. And it's because the advertiser doesn't know who the audience is. It's total guesswork for them. And the podcaster doesn't even know. The podcaster just knows their download numbers. So the result are ads that are not relevant or to the listeners and are not well executed for the listener's benefit. They lack a certain creativity and certainly lack the interactive aspect. So when we look at advertising, we think, and we look at, you know, things like YouTube where YouTube can be a very frustrating experience for a content creator because you can have an ad on there that's demographically based that has absolutely nothing to do with your content. So you're not really serving the advertiser and you're certainly not serving your viewer or Mm -hmm. or listener. So we take an approach where it has to be topically relevant and ideally mission aligned as well, because with the back end data, we're able to do that. Now, all these platforms like Apple and Spotify, they have, you know, to varying degrees, a lot of that data, but they don't share it. Mm -hmm. They don't share it with the podcasters. So we are transparent. We share it with the podcasters because it helps them know their audience so they can make their content more relevant. They can shape any offers they have more effectively and they can attract the right advertisers for them and their audience. 
Well, I think, I mean, you've really put the power back into the podcaster and I, and I think it's a, it's a gift. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. I, I <laughs> it's, do, a lot, it's a lot of work, but it's exciting. I know. And part of that, and, and I want to make sure that we go into, because we talked a lot about in the green room, and I think this is a really important element that also feeds into where we're our sort of theme for 2021 is really looking at future of workplace. And you've been in the process of building this organization of Padopolo. And for one thing, it's been the middle of a pandemic. So hello, there's a lot of work to be done there. A <laughs> um, little more challenging. But, you know, we have the tools and we have and there's certainly an incredible pool of very qualified people, but it's hard to reach them and, you know, make sure that they're a right match when you're given sort of the challenges of things like everything is remote and people are all across the world. Not that we didn't have that challenge before, but it's even more, it's, you know, just exacerbated. So we well, you... have to hire people without actually meeting them. Yeah. And so how do you, <laughs> how do you get, you know, how do you, when we're looking at the future of workplace and you're looking at sort of the hiring practices, but also just, you know, building a culture around your organization, what are some of the things that you've come across that have really, you know, helped you in that process or, or, you know, what are the things that you're looking for? Maybe some of our listeners happen to be just the right person because I know you guys are in a massive growth phase. You talk a little bit about that process and where you're at with that. Absolutely. So we spent 2020 pretty much in bootstrap mode, you know, getting an initial minimum viable product out there, working with, you know, beta podcasters such as yourself, Heidi, which we're so grateful because we really believe in co-creating with our customers and being really close to our customers and really understanding their needs and listening very, very carefully. So we went through that bootstrap period of the company, the, you know, product market fit and really kind of defining and laying the foundation for what we anticipate to be very explosive growth. And I look at our business model and we go from four full-time people to 32 by the end of the year. And we have to do that in the context of a pandemic. Now, the pandemic has forced everybody to think differently about the way we work. And I think Panopolo was always destined to be mostly a virtual company anyway, but it just forced us to really focus on making that experience great for everybody. And I, I would say it's a work in progress because we're experimenting with all sorts of things. Because on one hand, Zoom meetings, we've all experienced this, Zoom fatigue. Hmm. And there's actually like a neuroscience reason because there's even a millisecond of delay and it, it messes with our brains. And then we're thinking, how do I look? And all these sorts of things, right? And in a regular meeting, you could be sitting around in a regular meeting and some people might be looking at the person speaking. Other people might be taking notes. Other people might be staring off into the distance because they're thinking about what the person is saying. But on Zoom, everyone feels they have to be looking at the camera the whole time. And there's an extra strain. There's just an extra thing about it. So with our Zoom meetings, we're doing things in those Zoom meetings to try and break it up, get people to walk around, not necessarily having to be on camera, fun things, just different ways that we can create a connection between all our team members. Because, you know, our core team, we have a person in New York, a person in Miami, a person in San Diego, a person in Switzerland, Vienna, someone in the Philippines. We have, you know, developers who are all over the place, Costa Rica, Buenos Aires, you know, 
like it's the the team is really global. The advantage of a global team, there are many, there are many because people are really living where they want to be living. We have access to a global talent pool. There's a lot more flexibility for people to set their own hours. I'm the type of founder that isn't really watching the clock on people. I don't really care when they work or how long they work. What I care about are the results. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, do it however you're going to do it. I'm not going to tell you how. But but let's mutually agree what the result is, and and there's you know accountability for that, and also creating a culture where it's okay to fail because we learn from failing. And so just generating all this, but the big challenge is making sure that all the team members feel connected to each other. So we just do things that allow people to the time and space to be able to just share what's going on in their lives, or just doing fun games. We're really focusing on inculcating a sense of play. Podopolo itself is gamified. So like as a culture, we should have a gamified culture. Like it's very important to me that there's no gap between our walk and our talk, like that our who we say we are in terms of our mission and what we say in our product and the value we're providing for our customers. We have to live ourselves as a team. And so I'm also a big believer in not imposing this on the team, but really involving the team in the creation of the culture. And where we really want to stand out as a company is having exemplary customer success and customer service and bringing that same thing that we're thinking about with our team to how we interact with our customers Mm -hmm. as well and really creating a sense of a family in in a good way, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, this really, you know, vibrant community. So, I mean, as I say, it's a real work in progress, but it's exciting because you know, always finding new ways and new tools and, and new ways to interact with one another. And I think once the pandemic is finished, we are going to have quarterly team kind of retreats where everybody gets to meet and we will fund that for our team members. And so that when we are actually connected physically, we'll be able to use that time for meaningful connection, not just drone on meetings, but like fun things that really bond us as a team. And we're going to try and do those quarterly as soon as we're able, you know, with a pandemic. And we also have visions of being able to do that for our clients too, being able to bring, you know, all the Podopolo podcasters together, you know, for meetups and retreats and things and fun fun (laughs) locations and stuff like that. So all of this is in plan, you know, right now, but, you know, it's fun to reimagine these things. And I think we're going to learn a lot, you know, as we go. But if we say our whole thing is about meaningful connection, We have to live meaningful connection and we have to figure out ways of doing it around the technology, bending the technology, breaking the technology, creating new technology, whatever it takes, you know, to be able to do that. It's so true. And I think, I mean, it is, it's a work in progress for all of us trying to figure out sort of what is the future? What is the optimal way to work with these remote teams and virtual organizations that you still feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself and can really connect? So I think having some of those opportunities to to have that face-to-face connection is absolutely vital when there's the opportunity. But I think, you know, where where you're at with the growth stage is really, really exciting. Can you describe a little bit, because I know we, in the green room, we talked a little bit about some of the things that you're looking for. Maybe there's some listeners out there that that can help serve in some Oh my goodness. Okay. So lots of people. Right now, we're really looking for our senior product manager And this is the person who works super closely with me. I'm, you know, the visionary on product. 
but in the day-to-day technological development and running those, you know, what are we developing today? When is the code being pushed? You know, who's on the hook for this? Did it go through QA, pushing to regular code pushes every two weeks, you know, that kind of thing. That person really is very much my translator in that case. And it's a very pivotal senior role in the company. We are also, we've just recently hired a director of social and digital media. And so uh, Jamie will be building out her team. We need bloggers. We need people who create video. I need a podcast producer to take some of the production stuff off me with my own podcast, but also to develop a lot of the in-house Podopolo podcast ideas we have. Where we need a really amazing YouTube person to build the Podopolo YouTube channel and some of our OTT type content that will be on Roku and, and whatnot. We're planning a Podopolo TV channel for all the podcasters in the network that want to join that. So building that out, we need people and they can be either freelancers or agencies or whatever that are really amazing at SEO. Uh, really amazing at uh, voice SEO in particular. So all around that go-to-market marketing kind of piece is a significant group of hires. We're also looking for our chief revenue officer, and this is a very pivotal position for the company because we're taking a holistic approach right the way through the customer journey from the first point of contact through us, through all marketing channels, through the sales, and through customer delivery and success in that customer relationship. So this person will kind of, you know, own, I guess, all of that. Plus we're hiring salespeople, ad salespeople, people to sell Podopolo to podcasters. And Jason, who you know, who's mm-hmm. our director of customer success. Big shout success. out to Jason. He rocks. Yeah. Jason's amazing. And so he'll be, you know, hiring some people to work with him as well. So it's quite a, a team. And Right now, we're working with a big outsource development company, but we'll start to backfill that with some of our own engineers. Uh, we're in the market for a data scientist, et cetera. So, a, you know, a big thing. So, like, the whole watch thing. the, yeah. So, watch the podopolo.com website where we're just in the process of building a team page where we have a lot of those ads up sort of privately where we're sending links to people when we advertise. But we hired a really cool company called XP3 Talent who takes a lot of that initial recruiting piece off us, hands all the advertising and the headhunting and all that kind of stuff and puts people through all kinds of skills and behavioral qualifications and things before they get to me. That's been really helpful to me because I think as a CEO, my job could easily be hiring all day long and I have other things I've got to do on product. And And, I mean, the other thing (laughs) we were talking about earlier is how important it is to delegate and be asked, be able to ask for help. And as a leader, like if you can't ask for help, you're going to sink with the ship. Yeah. So I've gotten good at that because Mm -hmm. I've been in this stage before of growth and this is like almost the, it's a really exciting time for a company, but it's also a scary time for a company because all of a sudden as a CEO, you've, you've been used to doing everything in this kind of startup stage. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you really can't, you can't grow unless your focus changes now to team and culture and hiring and processes and, you know, all of that. So I'm really in that transition and it's not the first time I've been here, but it's sort of like your work doubles or even triples for a time for it to radically reduce where you can be in your true genius and just focus on the things you do well. And so we're just in that. It's it's exciting and painful at the same time. 
literally. <laughs> as I, I mean, people can't see you, but I know you're on your back because you're your your back went out. I yeah, mean, my back, it's a, my it's back a physical out, yeah. manifestation of the, of the pain that you're going through. But it, it, it's it totally so worth is. it. It's literally, literally, <laughs> if you ever put your lower back out, I, I've learned that it's to do with, you know, not feeling supported enough. You need more support, right? So whether that's just making sure you take time for a massage or a bath or you know, whatever, or just, yeah, really using that muscle of asking for help and making sure you get the right people in the right seats as well so you don't have to feel like you got to micromanage them oh absolutely you know, it, and i want to make sure so can you say the name again of the organization that you're using for doing the hiring oh it's you? called xp3 okay. talent i think we want and, to make uh, sure we put that in the links because i think a lot it, of people don't realize there are great organizations that you can delegate that piece to Oh, absolutely. So we've done that. And then rather than hiring an HR person, we use a PEO plan. So our payroll is called Just Works, and but they also handle all the health benefits, all the life assurance, all the workers comp, all the things, employees fill out their own stuff. And it, it just takes all that off me. It's amazing. So, I mean, obviously, because of the pandemic, people haven't been able to come to you or come to an office to do this. And as a virtual organization, I would think that a lot of these opportunities would be great for digital nomads as long as they have a good connection and they know what they're doing and they obviously fit into the role that you're looking for. So I think, you know, with people within the, the global nomad space, I think that there's a lot of great opportunity looking at future of workplace and sort of what does that mean and how do we actually get the job done? What are some of the things that, I mean, you've obviously, we've all been sort of fixed in place during the pandemic. There hasn't been a whole lot of travel, as we talked about earlier. But I mean, what are some of the things that you do to help yourself sort of keep, you know, keep your momentum, keep your mojo going during the yeah. process? Because it can be really hard. You're sort of working in a bubble. Exactly. Well, so the miracle morning is is the absolute sacrosanct. Often my dog interferes with it, but it really, the day <laughs> starts hell, with... Isn't that Hell Elrod or something? <laughs> yeah, 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 that that was, a, yeah, and I have my own kind of version. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff from Hal, but I, you know, adapted it in my own way. But like every day starts with meditation. And this routine has changed, you know, over the years. For a while, I did a lot of journaling in the morning and, you know, I've done all sorts of different things, but the meditation is absolutely vital followed by being walked by my dog. <laughs> I often have a lot of my best epiphanies, actually, when I'm out in the woods or just even walking down my like suburban street with my golden retriever because I'm out in nature and my dog reminds me to stay in the present moment, not in the past, not in the future, but really being connected with nature and in the now. And so he is my guide, I guess, in that way, as all my dogs have been actually. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge dog lover. I could talk about dogs forever. So anyway, so there's Augie in that context. And those two things have to happen every morning for me. And sometimes I'll come back and I'll do a deeper meditation, a longer one, and combine it with yoga or whatever. That's vital for me. I'm learning to try and take breaks during the day. Like I think there are a lot of studies that show that people and everyone varies on this, but can concentrate really at optimum level for, for some people it's an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours at a stretch. But if you keep going, it's just sort of the law of diminishing returns. You think you're being really productive and you're 
ticking things off a list, but in actual fact, just even getting up and breathing, walking around a bit, making a cup of tea, maybe taking another little meditation break, a nap, whatever it is. I've learned to do that and be more consistent at that. So that really helps me a lot. And then the same thing is sort of like a nighttime routine. You know, at times, usually on the weekends, you know, I'll do things like I'll write intentions and and whatnot. But I found that the morning meditation is where I get my inspiration. It it really organizes my day. It's more of an inspiration list than a to-do list. Mm -hmm. And I'm always looking for the one thing that if I do today will have a multiplicity of outcomes, right? Rather than just a list of like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I, I find that gives me a lot more leverage. I get a lot more done. I really do get those kind of downloads that I wouldn't if I was just staring at my computer. Yeah. So all of that is absolutely vital. And, and I think, you know, other than that, even through COVID, I've managed to get my weekly massage and, mm. you know, take an Epsom salt bath or bubble bath or whatever, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. What I found the most challenging though, is, is really reaching out and connecting with people outside of work because I'm so burned out by the end of the day with all the zoom calls. I don't really feel like picking up the phone and calling, you know, and I used to get all my, and I used to get all my social life out of traveling and I'm not doing that. So I find that my personal connection with my friends is not as robust as it should be right now. And I'm really missing that. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love about the podcasting community in particular is that most of us are sort of extroverted introverts. And so, (laughs) you know, we're, we're very well practiced at being extroverts because we have to, but most of us are more sort of comfortable in a small, intimate group and, you know, sort of that the introverted part, but we also need that alone time. I guess that's why we're so good at sitting behind a microphone and sort of, you know, having deep conversations. But I really miss the podcaster gatherings because it's just such an amazing group of people. And so I'm looking forward to getting that group back together again and not having the delay in the, you know, as you were saying, it's like that, you know, microsecond, whatever delay on Zoom, where it just takes away that natural flow of interaction. Um, Exactly. I'm really looking forward to being able to, you know, connect with people. And I think once we get the chance to do that more, I think we're going to all be a lot more thoughtful of what we choose to do and where, like, no more wasted meetings or wasted travel. Not and just who travel we do it sake, with. But, <laughs> and who we do it with because it because it's a now it's a precious resource. Now mm-hmm. it can be more mindful and more, you know, more thoughtful, I guess, in terms of what we're looking for to make those experiences really special. Absolutely. Um, and you, because you realize what you missed about, like I realized what I missed about travel. And I also realized what, what was a grind about travel, like being on a plane every couple of, you know, going to meetings that oh, I yeah. shouldn't have to really be at. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm with you hundred percent on that one. It's, it's, uh, I think we're all going to be a lot more mindful and present coming out of this. And I've always been of the belief that this whole, that 2020 was our chrysalis and maybe all this crazy stuff that's happening right now is, is part of the process of breaking out of the chrysalis. So I hope so. um, I think so, actually. I really do. So I think, you know, there's a lot of change that happened in the last year. We're not done yet, but we're still working on it. And I think that what's going to come out is going to be quite beautiful. So I'm very hopeful 
And I think that opportunities like Padopolo and the work that you're doing and some of the incredible podcasters out there and the stories that they're telling and sharing are going to make a really big difference in the world. So I'm really excited for it. I want to, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that I remind people that there will be a link within our newly launched Hacks space, both that's going to be linked both from Global Nomad Hacks and Evolving Digital Self. You'll be able to find out more information about Podopolo if you're a podcaster. There'll be information on how you can get your podcast on there and join. There's also going to be a link so that if you want to just download some episodes and download the app onto your device so that you can listen to any of the great podcasts that are already on there or and get recommendations of things that you'll enjoy, the opportunity will be there. And I'm just really excited for what's going to be happening with Podoplo coming up in the next year and so thankful that I'm part of it. Thank you, Melinda, and the incredible oh, work you're well, it's doing. It's wonderful to have you, Heidi. And just a quick plug, if I may, the app is free in both the Google and Apple app stores. And go download it and grab this episode. And, you know, Heidi and I can be on there to talk further and go into more depth about the things that we've talked about. So that would be really awesome. And I'm I can hardly wait. Yeah, no, absolutely. To, and the only thing I add to your beautiful piece on mindfulness is is gratitude. And I am so grateful for you and grateful for you, my listeners that are out there today. And I hope that you will take the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And of course, we always appreciate feedback and a review. And on Padopolo, we have the opportunity, like Melinda said, to engage and really hear more about what you want and what you need and just, you know, what you've really enjoyed about it so we can do more of it. So it's going to be an exciting 2021, and I'm so glad to be kicking it off with you, Melinda. Thank you for joining us today. I really do appreciate Likewise. it. Likewise. Well, Happy New Year, and I'm grateful for you too. My goodness. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. We'll look forward to next time, folks. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>